Hey guys, and welcome to episode 277 of Built on Passion. I'm your host, Matt Delabuono, and this week we have on Bolster founder, J.U. Bolster makes ergonomic everyday carry bags and accessories designed to help simplify your life, unburden your mind, and bring a little zen into your everyday. Now, Jay isn't quite a serial entrepreneur, but more of a serial problem solver. He initially got a start as an engineer before moving on to the fashion industry, leaving his mark, only to go on and completely revamp how we look at wallets with the inception of the Slimmy. That's the first Slim wallet. You probably heard of it. Yeah, Jay's that guy. Despite substantially affecting each industry he enters and making it seem like nothing, Jay's biggest feat has been staying level-headed and focused through all the hard parts of his career. Jay is an incredible reminder that no success comes without struggle and keeping the right perspective and healthy habits pays back in dividends. His vision with starting Bolster was more than just making an incredible bag, it's to modernize what it means to grab your stuff when you walk out the door. So there's no rush to grab your keys and your wallet or your phone and you don't know where they are so you're freaking out, pretty much that. With Bolster bags, everything you need and things that you normally carry in your pockets are on hand, easy to grab and go and just not weighing you down. Jay's experience, background, mindset, and attitude towards his career, building Bolster, and life in general are a great reminder in mindfulness, and he wants to help bring that kind of zen to your everyday life with Bolster. In this episode of Built on Passion, J.U. walks us through his colorful career, highlighting how he ended up starting Bolster, some serious wisdom and knowledge on what it means to be an entrepreneur, and how he navigated some of his personal roadblocks along his journey, and the how and why behind starting Bolster. Do you own or do marketing for an outdoor travel, wellness, or fitness product company? If you enjoy listening to our podcast built on passion, have a brand of your own and are interested in joining one of Red Yeti's upcoming giveaways, we'd love to have you. Our giveaway campaigns are a great way for you to gain exposure and build a targeted audience of potential customers. We've worked with hundreds of brands over the years, chances are you've probably seen our giveaways, and we've put together giveaways related to the outdoor fitness, wellness, and health spaces. If you're interested in partnering or joining one of our giveaways, just message us on Instagram. Our handle is at Ready Yeti. That's R-E-D-D-Y-Y-E-T-I. Just tell us you'd like to join one of our upcoming giveaways and someone from our team will be in touch. Remember, just message us on Instagram at Ready Yeti. That's R-E-D-D-Y-Y-E-T-I. All right, all right. Well, hang on one second before we actually jump into this episode. I just wanted to say thank you. Really, thank you for supporting everything we're trying to do. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being engaged, being curious, and just being there supporting the show. We work really hard to put together a really interesting show and have on guests that are truly doing something progressive, interesting, and building something truly special. If you are looking for a way to show your support and help us continue to do what we are doing, one of the biggest things you could do, and I know it seems like a really small thing, but is leave a review. Plus, it helps inform other people what your experience of this podcast has been like. So that's basically it. I just wanted to say a big old thank you to you, the listener. Please leave a review. It is extremely helpful. And uh, you look great. And that's it. Bye. Jay, who are you and what do you do? My name is Jay Yu, and I am the founder and president of Bolster LTD. And I've done a few other things in the past, but that's what I'm currently doing. Oh, yeah. Before we dig into the past there, what is Bolster? 
Bolster is a bag brand. It's very specific. I think of it as the bag for the rest of us and or the bag, you know, line for the rest of us. And Bolster was an experiment and it turned into kind of an opportunity, I feel. Bolster, the name itself stands for, it's kind of a combination of words into one. So it's something in between a bag and a holster, a laptop bag and a holster. So my challenge, and I started this idea a decade ago, and usually I'm, uh, I'm pretty far ahead. And I, this one kind of came out, you know, I experimented, I had to let it marinate for a while. And so now it seems to be on trend. And 10 years ago, I couldn't find a small bag that I liked that didn't look like a man purse. It was much harder to find then than it is now, but it's still hard, I think. And it's either a man purse or it's a lookalike sling pack or fanny pack, which I'm just not a fan of. And, you know, I wanted something that was uh, visually something that caused visual tension. So meaning, you know, you look at it and you, you know, the object itself looks different and interesting and also that it functioned well. And so, you know, those two elements equal style to me, good function, good form. It had to meet a certain style element that I was looking for. And that's minimal. And again, something that's minimal, but also has kind of that visual tension. So balancing those two, I wouldn't say extremes, but those two design elements was a real challenge. So anyway, it started out as an experiment in 2012, launched it in 2014. And here I am today. We can get into more of it, but that's a little background and a little bit of what it means. I 100% want to get into more of that. What I'm so curious about is I feel like there's a ton of people out there who will have an idea and it could just be like, you know, something nonspecific, but it's so hard to really act on it and say, you know what, I'm going to make this thing. What led you to get to the point where you were dreaming up this bag that you knew was perfect for you? I guess what came before that drive to actually make your own bag? What led you there? Good question. It's kind of a hazard, you know, to do it. (laughs) If you make something for yourself, it may be a hazard because no one else may want it, but I kind of feel that I have very specific needs. And I think that there are other people who have the specific needs that I do. I'm not a general, I have very specific needs. And so if I'm really particular about something, chances are there are other people who are as well. And this bag is not for everybody. This bag line is made for the rest of us who have my particular aesthetic. And it's built around caring less, actually, not more. It's forcing you to carry what you need. So how do you launch something? And if you talk to an artist, it's very interesting. I get a lot of my inspiration from artists and I love working with artists and they get an inspiration and they just have to birth it in the world. It has to get done. And that was very much the case with Bolster and many other things that I've launched, you know, and some were spectacularly bad and failed and some were really good. So uh, it really comes from just this need that I have and the need for it to see if it can exist in the world. And the good news is, is that it's a lot easier to do that these days than it was, say, 10, 20 years ago when you had to go to shows, buy all this inventory, have it ready. You can have launched something with one prototype on Kickstarter and see how it goes. And so that's what this was, was an experiment. And the barriers really had come down, wanted a small bag. Took two years to come up with a form. And, you know, the funny thing is, is you put different trimmings on it. For example, shiny aluminum makes it look like a purse. And so going through that process of trying different things, you know, it's like, oh man, and you, it's a process of, and sometimes it didn't look so good. 
three manufacturers fired me. They didn't want to do it. They're like, this is not going to work. It's a bad idea. We can't do it for you. And I just started losing hope. And so sometimes it's pure persistence. You know, you keep pursuing it. And I've heard that patience and persistence are the same thing from a fellow entrepreneur who's done very well in the world. And and he, he equates those two words together. And that's what this was, was persistence and patience. So I was out of manufacturer, but I had one prototype made by one manufacturer. And he just said, look, I, this is not going to go anywhere. I'm done. Here's your stuff. I took that prototype to the outdoor retail show in Salt Lake City in 2014. And now that must have been 2013. Yeah. And then a year later, I launched it. But I took it to the show and the weirdest thing happened. And sometimes, I mean, I'm not making this up, but I believe in some signs from the universe, not all the time, but when they're reoccurring and a lot, it's like, oh man, this is just too weird. I got to go for it. So I go to the show. The first person I see is uh, Michelle Lee, who I started a nonprofit with here in Cleveland. She happens to be from Australia. And she was working in advertising in New York City, the last I heard. She was at the outdoor retail show. And I'm like, Michelle, what are you doing here? You know, so she's like, oh, I'm, I'm here for the show. I'm now, she was managing the wool brand from Australia. So she was the brand manager for wool, <laughs> you know. And I happened to be looking for merino wool for another line I was doing. So that was like, that's weird. And so... Strangely, about an hour later, I meet another person who was part of the same group that I started the nonprofit with. And this is even more weird. She was a doctor, venture capitalist in biotech, and she was at the outdoor retail show. And I'm like, Lisa, what are you doing here? I just ran into Michelle. And Lisa was like, I quit my job. I hated what I was doing. She was working in the like the bag department at REI and was asked because she's a doctor and a super good writer to be an editor for they were doing editor spots at the show. And they had a group of writers come in and write on behalf of one of the magazines there. And she was part of that staff, like handpicked weird. I don't know how it happened, but she's like, what are you wearing? I'm like, it's something I'm working on. Don't worry about it. She goes, that's interesting. Tell me about it. And I told her the story. She goes, that's the best bag at the show. You mind if I write about it? I'm like, oh my God. I mean, So the last piece, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I really got to do this thing. And the first prototype was very different than the one, than the bolster. Small carry 3.0, that's out right now. I met my manufacturer there. I went into a booth. I'm like, hey, what do y'all do here? They made a line of climbing gear, but he's like, yeah, we do this, but we're also looking to manufacture. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, here's my bag. You guys want to help me? It's like, yeah, man, let's get going. And I found my manufacturer there. So it was kind of a trifecta. It was weird, you know, from the universe. I'm like, oh, man, sometimes that happens. And I guess it just showed up too powerfully for me not to try it. So I pursued it pretty aggressively after that and launched it. And I launched it on Kickstarter. It was my first Kickstarter. I almost didn't do it. And I got it done. And all the assets were done. Had a blast filming it. We did some stuff and got in trouble. We brought a streaker into the mix. And that's a whole other story. We can get into that. But You got to get the right permitting, I guess, for that. No, you got to get the right streaker. So I had to do it. <laughs> But I didn't. I, I had a little g-string uh, <laughs> or a thong. It was very interesting. We may bring back that footage. 
It was incredible. You had add some style to it. Anyway, so I was about to launch it on Kickstarter, and I'm like, I don't know if I should do this. I'm like, I got kids. They're going to get made fun of in school. You know, their dad's making a man purse. That was the, the thinking. And I called my friend who was the guy who had this quote, you know, his thinking around patience and, and persistence. He's like, dude, just press the damn button. So I did. I pressed it. And immediately people were like waiting for it. And I didn't queue it up. This was 2014. And overnight it was half funded. And I'm like, this is really weird. I mean, and then within 24 hours, it was fully funded. And then it started to just rock and roll. In three days, it was at 50,000. I'm like, oh my God. It was not, I mean, within three or four days. And then it just grew and it almost hit 200,000. And back then, that was a big project for a bag line or a bag idea. So, anyway, that's how it kind of got launched and the experiment worked. Wow. You weren't kidding when you say the universe was uh, communicating to you every step of the way. I guess, man. <laughs> no, that's so perfect. It goes to show you that there was a need there and, you know, you were filling that need for people who didn't even realize they were looking for that thing. It gets more interesting, actually. And yeah, you're right. It grew. And it, like at that time, there just weren't many people doing kind of bad. And it got a lot of attention, got a lot of press. It was in TechCrunch. It was in, oh, it was in a few different blogs. One in Japan, I for Gigzine, I think is what it's called. But the manufacturer I was working with ghosted me. <laughs> this is the new guys, right? Yeah. And I'm like, and so this is where things go full circle. I'm like, this is not good. I mean, it was 30 days he had not talked to me. And I'm like, hey, uh, I won't mention his name. He's got another big bag line out there and doing well with it. And, you know, we did more work together after that, but I forgave him. He ghosted me for 30 days and the backers were on me. And I was just really, I thought my divorce was stressful. That was probably number two. <laughs> It was really stressful. I didn't know what to do. So I flew out to Salt Lake City and just walked in on it. I'm like, hey, uh, you going to do these bags or what? He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I just, it's too much. We can't do it. I'm like, what? I'm like, you could have like let me know. He's like, oh, I was going to and this and that. Going to? That's awful. Yeah. That's friggin' insane. It was insane. So this would have been September. And I promised delivery by like November, December. In September, he ghosted me all of September after the project ended. And so we're at the end of September. I fly out there. He says, he can't do it. I'm like, what do I do? Ten years before that, I'd visited somebody in Seattle. I was doing clothing then. And he said he didn't do clothing. He only did bags. So I'm like, I wonder if he's still in business. Called him up. Turns out that they're the largest U.S. bag manufacturer for the military. I'm like, Mike, man, I'm in a bind here. Can you help? I've got 5,000 bags I need to be made. He's like, I help you. He's Vietnamese. He's like, I help you, Jay. They got it done. And we got all of them delivered before Christmas. I couldn't believe the manpower that he brought to that. He saved me. So I don't think that there's a story that's more full circle than that. I mean, you know, it's like I could have like, I think a lot of people might have caved. <laughs> I had been through this a few times, so I had a little bit more experience to know that something's going to happen. I'm going to get through this, you know, and it takes a lot of failure to know you're going to get through something. And so I failed so many times before and almost went bankrupt. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, something's going to come out here. We're going to be all right. You just got to keep persistent and be patient a little bit. And that's what happened in the end. So is the script almost done for the movie adaptation? Because this is like, seriously, the twists and turns. I know, right? 
I mean, you should call these people to get the real. I mean, you want to get there. I mean, it's almost unbelievable. But I'll give you the names of these people. You can call them to verify. It was just crazy. I mean, it couldn't have been more crazy, you know. But the lesson is, is that if you really believe in something, don't give up. And you know, you just got to keep pushing. And the harder it gets, I mean, I just don't know that there's a good reason to quit. Absolutely. It, it's not just oh, I think this is a good idea. You had so much validation from everyone else saying like, this is a great idea. Just do it. Just like go for it. And these solvable issues that kind of popped up, it seems like, I mean, sure, right time, right place was a part of it. But a lot of it kind of came from you from having the, I don't know, again, getting back to the whole patience to press on and, you know, keep on trying. Yeah, it's a little different these days. It was a lot easier back then. I've got new challenges that are very different now than they were then. But I'm faced with kind of a a new dilemma. I'm in the middle of. And so, you know, you just have to quiet the mind and get clear. You have to really get clear on what you're trying to do. And I think that's the most important thing. If you don't mind me asking, what did you do before Bolster? It seems like you have not just like a rich network, but like actually like very close personal friends from like a million different lives and businesses before Bolster existed. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, it's very interesting. And that's true. I'll start, you know, in chronological order backwards. I mean, Bolster was started out of a line that I'd been working on since 2003 called Koyono. And that was a minimalist tech travel line and mostly outerwear. I'd been trying to figure out what was next. And that was kind of winding down and it run its course. But that's where I started my entrepreneurial kind of my real entrepreneurial efforts were that. And in between there, I started a wallet line called Slimmy. And Slimmy was wrapped up with Koyono, but it was its own thing. And I learned how to launch stuff, I guess. And the lesson is there's a lot more to learn. And you don't go on what you know, you go on what you have to learn now. And you know you have to fail fast. And Slimmy was a great success out of the failings of Koyono. And so Koyono started in 2003 as a tech clothing line. I'm not in fashion. I needed this jacket. And then I was in corporate America at the time, and I traveled around the world and developing different markets for a manufacturing company here in Cleveland. And I didn't have a Gore-Tex jacket that I could wear with a suit, and I had to wear a suit anywhere I went. I didn't want to wear it you know, this big, long overcoat. I'm like, how do you pack? You need a suitcase just for the freaking overcoat, you know? I wanted something lightweight, three-quarter length, Gore-Tex, a liner you could zip out that could be worn separately on the golf course, for example. And that's where it all started. So that was a huge experiment. I mean, I ran the business plan through uh, Case Weatherhead School of Management. They said, kill it now. I'm like, no, I'm going to give this a try. And the short story of that was I went to one fashion show and took a risk. And I brought it to the Chicago Collective, paid the fee for a booth. Before that, I I made a thousand jackets, which you never do. And I had to sell a thousand jackets suddenly. So I went to the Chicago Collective and one guy, John Fell, came in the booth and he's like, what is this? And I explained to him that, you know, it's a tech travel line, not your dad's overcoat, travel coat made for out of Gore-Tex. He goes, this is the best thing at the show. He was a buyer for a sporting goods company. He brought all of his menswear, all of his buddies from Chicago who in the Midwest who owned high-end men's clothing stores to the booth and they all bought it. Well, 
all that commotion that was going on, all the Japanese boutiques who were visiting the show saw the commotion. They came over and they immediately bought into it. I got into stores that you could only dream of getting into now. I had no idea. I didn't know what I had. I was in Beams. I was in Nepenthes. Daiki Suzuki, who is the founder of Engineered Garments, was the buyer for Nepenthes. He was buying Black Coat. That was the name of the outerwear line. And it was in 50 retailers worldwide. So I learned a lot through that process, you know, got through that and then got a license from Apple made for iPod clothing, which was the worst idea ever. And that's a whole nother story. That was my big failure. But that led to that. And a lot of investors wanted that. And that was a lesson not to do things for investors, do things because you believe in them. The right investors will come along. Especially for Apple. I feel like clothing made for Apple, they change their products so often that I mean, and who knows if their products are going to take off or go anywhere. I mean, chances are they will, but. Well, exactly. And, but there's a silver lining in that. And there is a reason to do something like that. I doubled down and put my whole retirement in the <laughs> and it didn't sell. I had to give it away to Goodwill. Not most of it. I sold probably 70% of it, but I was on the front page of every business section in the world, bar none. I'm not kidding. I landed in Indonesia to meet my manufacturer. And they said, you are on the front cover of the Jakarta business section. I'm like, wow. I got calls from everywhere, from Houston, from San Francisco, and you know, clothing manufacturer from Cleveland, Ohio. You know, I was one of the first to do this kind of thing for everyday clothing. So had I just done it for a stunt effect to get attention, because it drove a lot of sales of other stuff. That's the reason to do something like that. How's that for a resume builder? Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, it's a very hard lesson to learn, you know, and I can save people a lot of money. Well, the lesson is this. If you have to change behavior, really think twice about what you're doing. And so what I was doing was the equivalent of going into an Italian restaurant and asking all the patrons to eat chopsticks. What do you think they're going to do? It works better. They do this in China. Just use chopsticks. They're going to say, no, that's not how you eat spaghetti. I want a spoon and a fork. And a knife if I need it. I want to ball up my spaghetti and put a big ball in my mouth of it. So how about we give you the meal for free? Probably 50% will convert. If you give them 20 bucks on top of a free meal, probably everyone will do it. So if you have a lot of advertising and you can give away free product, you know, that's what you have to do. And so the changing behavior cost Apple a billion dollars in advertising for the iPhone. They had to spend a billion dollars to get people to switch from a physical keyboard to a, a, a virtual one. And so I didn't have that much money to spend advertising. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't a good idea in the end. Do you think that scenario helped you better aim with Ballster hitting the right markets? Yes, of course. It helped a lot. You know, because I had to ask myself, am I changing behavior? The answer is kind of sort of, you know, but it wasn't a no. Like, Controlling your iPod from your jacket to your sleeve is a totally different like ask than, hey, put your stuff in a bag. People already carry a backpack. A lot of people wear sling packs and fanny packs. You know, I'm just saying, look, try something that rides on your hip, that is going to be smaller than a laptop bag, and that doesn't look like a fanny pack. So it's not a big change of behavior there. Now, that said, the change of behavior is actually an opportunity in this case. And so in the case of Apple, you know, and working with them and getting a license, first of all, that was a huge like ego booster, which is not a good thing. I was properly humbled through that experience. 
But I mean, I got because I was on the backs of all these celebrities in these Japanese boutiques. I mean, I didn't mention that, but you know, Black Coat was being worn by Tom Cruise, Will Ferrell, the Beastie Boys, Public Enemy took it on tour. Recently, Public Enemy just posted a bolster, they've been wearing it, and a host of other celebrities. And so Apple looked at it and said, Get this guy signed up. I mean, I was signed up within days. And it was like, wow. I mean, it was incredible. I was you know, to be working with Apple is an honor, I feel. And so I would be more thrilled about Public Enemy and the Beastie Boys, to be honest. That's crazy. Oh, it was great, man. I mean, Adam Yock's wife was like, you know, emailing me, hey, what size do you think Adam's going to need? You know, MCA is no longer alive, rest in peace. But it was just incredible to be like giving advice. And they're just people, though. They're normal people, you know, and I mean, it was great talking to them and and helping them out. And it was a huge honor. I mean, I also think working with somebody like Apple's an honor. And anyway, it's different, right? So the change of behavior there was just extreme. And with Bolster, the change of behavior is less, but also it's an opportunity because there are a whole lot of guys that are stuffing their pockets and it looks terrible. And every time I show someone, I'll stop in public. I'll be like, do you actually like doing that? And they're like, no, man, I just can't find anything that I like. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, what do you think of this? Like, that's dope. And so I'm talking about the bolster aux pocket, which is the middle carry. It's the medium range carry for what I'm doing. They love it because it rides on the hip. It isn't a fanny pack. There are a lot of people who want to wear this big lump on their chest. That's fine. But there are a lot of people who don't. So this is the bag line for the rest of us here. And if you don't like stuffing your pockets, you have an option. So, you know, with the case of Apple and like, it wasn't a problem controlling the iPod with the iPod, right? It was just like an added, like maybe an added benefit to be able to do it from the lapel of your jacket. Very different. So it really is important to understand the difference. I feel like if you take a step back from what you're doing and just thinking about the practicality of it. Bolster is really easy to digest and say, oh, okay, even if it's not for you, you could be like, yeah, this makes sense. This is something that doesn't quite exist. And, you know, even but taking a look at the way that you designed it, specifically the shape, because the shape is very different. I think it's much easier to justify that and look at that and say, this is filling a spot in the niche of, I guess, like everyday carry bags. And then like the Apple controlling your device from your jacket. It's nice, but it ends up being, I guess, a little gimmicky. Yeah, man. It was a little gimmicky, for sure. A lot gimmicky. (laughs) But investors liked it. I would love that. Really? What? Like controlling it? Maybe. Yeah, seriously. For me, though, it gets to the point where I want that in like a ski jacket. Like I want that when I'm doing something technical. Right. That already existed. This was for every day. I wasn't doing that. And so for that, it makes sense because you're not going to pull your, you can't use an Apple watch. You need big buttons, right? So it still kind of makes sense for that. And in fact, when I'm snowboarding, I'm like, oh man, I got to take out my phone on the ski lift, change the playlist, you know? Yeah. So it has a need there. With Bolster, you started this, it really snowballed quickly. Have you had to do a lot towards branding to kind of back it up? Or did that just sort of fall into place with your initial vision with what the bag stood for and what it would mean to people? It came out of the gate strong. It's been very tricky. And I went through some personal stuff and had to sideline it for a number of years, unfortunately. But the timing is still good. So, you know, and the opportunity is good. And I just came out of a big consulting job for a streetwear retailer. So having done what I did, 
I didn't tell this part of it, but I had all these retailers and I fired them. And I said, e-commerce is coming. I went directly online. And I didn't know what I had in Japan. I should have held off those retailers. And I could only focus on so much. So in 2005, I said, e-commerce is coming. I'm getting on this. And I went strictly online. And it really worked. You know, Slimmy was the number one selling wallet on Amazon for four years, I believe, close to five. It was big. Even then, I mean, now it's bigger. But back then, no one was marketing a slim leather wallet only. I was the only one. And I kind of rode that. I was raising kids and climbing out of the debacle with the iPod jacket and figure, you know, paying all the debt off for that. Slimmy got me through that, but it, it was purely online. Through that, I learned e-commerce and then how to do the back-end stuff, outsourcing and all this and that. So one of my friends has a, one of the top retailers for streetwear in the world, but didn't have a good online strategy. So I came in and helped inform that. So I'm getting back into Bolster now and it's harder now. It has to be crystal clear and I have to redo, like I'm doing some soul searching right now to make sure people know exactly why Bolster exists. Because just saying you make a minimal bag isn't enough. And making a great bag, you have to be communicating that daily. Yeah. And it's interesting how, I mean, for what I do for a living, I get to look at a lot of products. So it's a little bit easier for me to get there and you know get on the level that something's presented to me. But even if something is so glaringly winking you in the face, the purpose, like the physical and functional purpose of something, I feel like there's still that distinct element of education that you just can't get around. People don't want to read. It has to be really, really digestible. And it has to be very clear. And today it's so important. I mean, you just can't mess around now. Your IG feed has to be really good. You have to be coming up with good, interesting content too, that just isn't, hey, we've got something, buy it, buy it, buy it. You have to bring culture into your business, I feel, these days. You can't just sell a product anymore. You've got to make it interesting. I've always felt that way, but even more so now. You mentioned that's the piece that you're kind of, I guess, experimenting with, soul searching with, trying to find the proper voice. What have you been doing to figure that out or, you know, just dial it in? Well, very good question. And so I've been reading a lot and I've been thinking a lot and I've been playing around with some stuff. So I love art. I love the artist who just wants to put their art in the world and starving artists who want their art in the world before anybody wants it. There's something to be said for that. They're the real risk takers. And they have this idea from their soul that they want out in the world. And a lot of them will go to the fullest length to get it out there. And I think that the starving artist kind of concept is very admirable. And it inspires me to want to do my stuff and put my stuff out there. And so I feel that given the generosity of artists and what they do, period, you know, I felt like I feel like I want to be part of that and help to give back in a small way. So I've been playing around with something called Black Canvas, I'm trying to bring culture into my business and bolster. And so I started it with the Slimmy Wallet, which I still sell, and under the bolster name, but also on its own site, because it was the easiest product to collaborate on. And I got a great, I won't give the process out, but I could print on a wallet permanently. And it's expensive, the equipment, but I got it in on how to do it. And so I'm like, I should just try it. I messed with it for a year, like trying to just figure out how to position it and all this and that. And I'd been working in this king job. So it was always tearing me away from launching something. Terry's from Cleveland. He's becoming known. He's in LA now. But that's one idea. And I've got another one lined up. I'm meeting with another artist here in Cleveland next week on a very interesting collaboration. 
And I want to do more of those. And that's what Nike does. They do artist collaborations, you know, with big celebrities. But there are a ton of great artists out there that are not known. Let's join up. Let's do some stuff. And you know what happened? I went out and I threw up on all the press in Cleveland. I'm like, you need to talk about this. This is great. We need to get the names of artists out more. People need to be collaborating more. And so it worked. I got some interest from that. And, you know, I need to get my name out and I want to help artists. So it's like a win-win-win. And so in this case, the artist gets 80% of the profits. Nice. That's the right way. No one's going to make a million bucks, you know, collaborating with Bolster and Slimmy. But the energy around it was amazing. You know, for me, it's like, if I can get a collectible like that for 55 bucks, that someday could become worth 100,000, why not? And Terry's, he went from like 30,000 followers. He's up over 130 now. And he's starting to get some traction. He did the um, mural for Machine Gun Kelly for the VH1 Hip Hop Awards. And I guess it was the Hip Hop, the VH1 Music Video Awards. And is it VH1 now? It was MTV Movie and then, or Video, and then it's VH1 Hip Hop. But I don't, maybe it's changed a bit, but it, I know it was for VH1. I've fallen out of love after they, like, I think VH1 2 came out and MTV 2 came out. That's when my heart, I went elsewhere. I'm not following it either, but he did the mural for Machine Gun Kelly for that. So he's getting known and out there. And so that's one way, you know, but also it's about like part of the brand is about freeing your mind. And so it's about Zen. And I can't tell you how many customers said, Jay, the Slimmy wallet changed my life. I'm like, you're kidding me. They're like, no, I'm a full on minimalist. Like I try to live as minimally as possible. I have a bit of a sneaker collection, but everyone has a thing, you know? Yeah, that's a passion. That counts. <laughs> yeah, I like art and I buy some art, you know, and I like culture. So doing something with artists, that's one thing. But having time to do that and having time to appreciate what artists do means that you got to have time to do that in your life and the interest, right? Right now, life is so complex and it is like ironic and weird to me that bag manufacturers are throwing a complex bag at a complex problem. You do not solve complexities with complexities. You solve complexities with simplicity. So Bolster and the brand and the core at its core is about simplicity and essence and getting rid of stuff. And so if you're hauling around all this stuff, you have to keep track of where that stuff is. It's on your mind. And if you're not using a good bag and if your stuff is scattered, you're going to lose it. So in either case, complexity is ruling your life. So this is about saying, look, what do we need? We need a wallet. We need a smartphone. We need our keys. Those are pretty much the basics. And then maybe an AirPod, maybe some sunglasses, right? And so there may be just a few extras that week. And so it's taking... I'll say seven things. And the pocketing design for Bolster is about not exceeding seven because, you know, there's a long understood study out there and it's called the, you know, the magical number seven, that anything in a sequence over seven is cognitively hard for humans to remember. They can't remember combinations. And that's why phone numbers were only seven digits minus the area code way back in the day, because they said humans can't remember after seven digits, they're going to forget it. We want to, you know, let's keep the phone number to something people can remember. So they made it seven digits. Man, talk about blowing your mind. And then bag manufacturers are making bags with 40 pockets. I mean, give me a break. Like who's going to remember what is where and when? And so fundamentally, it's about not going over seven pockets and what you can put in them. 
And so when you reduce those things and you get down to your go back, grab and go, you never have to worry about it anymore. And so I offer a range because there's also preference within that range, right? There are a lot of guys who don't want to carry their phone in a bag. They must have it in their hand or pocket. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not like that, but I'm not going to dictate to the world what they should do. So we came out with the mini, which was the best selling item in the last Kickstarter. And it is made for your credit cards, cash, keys. You can actually put your sunglasses on the strap. It's everything minus a smartphone that you want on you every day. It's a tiny little pouch. The mini is like a, like a wallet, like a wallet with a, a wearable wallet. It's like a zip wallet. Exactly. But you can wear this and you can wear it cross body or you can put it on it. I have one here. Here's the mini. I know I was looking at it. I know that the way you designed it too, it's that you can basically get to every specific thing inside of it without having to dig through wherever. Right? Right. Exactly. So there's, in this case, there are five compartments. So there's a middle compartment, you know, two sleeves on the sides for cards, a zip pocket. The center is considered a compartment. So there's a main compartment, two sides, the zip. And then here there's a sunglass keeper. And I don't have my sunglasses on me, I'm afraid, but you can put your sunglasses right on here. And so they will stay put if you put the arm behind here and it'll rest against your body and stay put. So the idea is to get down to what you really need. And there's a need for a backpack, right? But anything between a backpack and your front pockets, it's all about just getting to that grab and go. And I don't need my Kindle every day. I don't need a charging battery every day. But if you do, small carry will fill that need, right? Small carry is really great for travel. It doesn't count as an item at all. So I go on with a backpack and a small carry. And they never count my small carry. This is more for you than, I guess, any of the listeners. But thinking about this, and I thought about this when I was you know, kind of looking into some of your products, I feel like this is also a perfect thing for I think we may have even talked about this prior, but you know, people have such specific drilled in interests where they want to carry certain things like someone who's really into uh, sketching or even I was thinking like, maybe you can like reach out to like, I don't know if you're familiar with moment, but I could see this being the perfect thing for someone who is obsessed with, you know, modular camera phone equipment. There's so many different places. I feel like you can take this to serve like more niche interests. It's a really crazy idea. Well, I thank you. And Zen kind of, and getting down to what you really need in other areas and how people end up using it is up to them. So we're going to learn a lot about that and it'll help build different product, right? There may be product I'm like, no, or just not going to do that, you know, because it already exists well in the world, but you're exactly right. And so that's, what's really great about doing a Kickstarter is they come up with stuff you never thought of. And that's like with small carry, they're like, what about a left-handed bag? I'm like, oh man, I never thought about that. I happen to be left-handed, but I carry my bag on my right side. The input from the community is super important in understanding you know, how they're using it or how they want to use it. And again, you can make it better or you can say, look, here's a product that already fills that need. You know, we recommend that you go and buy that. So for sure. You mentioned that you're trying to work through how Bolster, how the brand can evolve, the brand identity. And I think you're doing it right. And the way you set up the products the brand thus far, it's open to evolve however it's supposed to. And it seems like you're really drilling in and working on, you know, filling out some of those ideals that mean something to you. Like supporting artists is a incredible because this is a really personal product and you're adding another layer of 
personality to it, identity. People can support artists that speak to them. You know, not everyone can be that. So yeah. Well, you know, that's a whole kind of different philosophical thing, but it stems from me, you know, being able to have time for it. And that's the whole idea. Again, getting back to the Zen aspect, and that's where I'm going with this is to speak more around how to minimize your carry and carry only what you need and cover a range of people's lives, but make sure people like there are people who will need a great camera bag. That's not going to be me. I'm not making a camera bag. Peak Design does a great job with that. God bless them. They are great at doing camera gear. And this is about style and everyday carry. And there's no bag manufacturer out there that's taking this kind of everyday carry approach only. And by adding art to it, I'm kind of, it's art as fashion. So it's culture as fashion. So that's also a very important part of this. And that's, it's that gooey part of it. That's like, you can't put hard, like, you know, you're just going to experiment and do different stuff with different artists and stuff. Some, their following is going to like it, whether or not my following or the rest of the world will, who knows, but it's worth it, man. And it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. I see what you mean now. I understand. I feel like it also helps to bring people to that Zen level who may not even realize that that's something they need in their lives. I mean, again, the Slimy wallet, people said, I redid my whole house because of the wallet. Like I carried around this wallet full of stuff. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm like, you're kidding me. They're like, no, I can't begin to tell you. It literally changed my life. I have people who are coming back after 15 years, getting their second, third Slimy, you know, and they're like, man, I just will not use another wallet. They identified with that minimalism and that simplicity. And, and I feel that that's where the core of the spirit of the bag line is, is, is the essence, getting the essence of what you really need. It's not going to be for everybody. Less is more is the new, don't worry, be happy. Yeah. And you could take that so much further. I was going to say something similar to that, that you said to kind of circle back. You said you can't really solve a complex problem with a complex solution. Exactly. It makes no freaking sense. Yeah. I think that with how product design development, especially with bags specifically, how it's progressed over the years, people just throwing every feature they possibly can at a thing and saying, oh, it can do everything. It's great. I think that many, I can't speak for everyone, but many people are starting to realize, oh, wait, this has like six pockets that I don't use. This has X, Y, and Z. So getting back to that simplicity, I feel like you're setting the stage to kind of rebuild like, okay, like what are necessities? Like our pockets and like our, the things that we're walking out of the house with today are way different than they were 10 years ago. And you're calling that out and saying, hey, we need to look at this a little bit differently and make this make a little bit more sense. Yeah, I'm trying to make sense of it. And whether or not it makes sense to the rest of the world, we'll see. But I have a feeling that there are a lot of people who, especially men, who really don't like complexity, man. They like to simplify and get to the basics. So there's black ballistic nylon. There's nothing more basic and hardcore in terms of performance than that. You know, maybe Kevlar. And then we're doing Dyneema, which is the strongest fiber on Earth. It's stronger than steel. They use it to tether satellites in space. We've got a black Dyneema bag coming out. Yeah. How did you come up with the fabric? Is that just all part of the iteration process? Are you familiar with those fabrics when you went after it? Or That's a good question. I've always been fascinated with materials and what they do. And in a previous, previous life, that's where I started my whole, like, that's where I got the itch to challenge authority and take risk. And so I worked for a corporation and I was in oil and gas and they were 
having problems with the valve and fitting components they're putting in their instrumentation systems, which is hazardous. They were leaking ethanol on large platforms. And ethanol was used to break up the hydrates of oil. And look, I'm, you know, I'm an environmentalist, but that's how I made a living when I started out. It was very much a different time. And, and I didn't like the idea that they were leaking hydraulic fluid into the ocean. So I felt a, a bit of a cause even back then that this is solving a problem to have completely leak-free systems. It required a material called super duplex to get as thin as possible, as strong as possible, and withstand the corrosive environment of oceans. So yeah, I started messing around with these exotic materials working for this manufacturer, and it stuck, and it worked, and it's spec worldwide now. It got started in Louisiana, and now it's spec worldwide. When you get something spec in an industry like that, it lasts for like 20 to 50 years. So these guys are calling me like, you sent my kids to college, you know, this and that, and I'm like, I did? They're like, yeah, man, this fitting is just, it's spectacular. <laughs> and, you know, and I got fired doing that. That's the craziest thing. I feel like that's like a classic thing where like, oh yeah, a person introduced an amazing idea. Good job. Goodbye. I don't understand how that can possibly frigging happen. It makes complete sense. You see, corporations have this, we want to do innovation mantra. They don't really want to do it, you know, unless they're born with it, like Apple or, I mean, oil and gas companies take more risk. They spec'd this technology before it was proven. They went on the fact that it was 100% predictable and that was good enough for them because they had leaking methanol on the platform. And we were able to produce 100% consistent results. And that was good enough for them to spec it. I was blown away. And they're like, just get back to us on the scientific stuff. I'm like, it turns out that a guy got his PhD on it. This company got two or three patents from it. Yeah, and I got fired. I had to do this at the request to stop fucking with my engineers from the head of engineering. And he called me, stop fucking with my engineers, JU. I'm like, I'm so sorry, Earl. So I went back and I'm like, hey, guys, um, I have to stop the project. What are you guys doing after five? They're like, we're, we're with you, man. So that we kept working on it after five. And so the company was in upheaval at the time. It had uh, gone through some leadership change. They didn't know what I was doing. They didn't know what half the company was doing. So I'm like, this is great. So I went out, I just did what I wanted to do. And then they got wind of it. And they're like, what is this? And so, you know, this Norwegian executive comes, they hired a Norwegian oil exec. He comes in, panels up you know, the, all of the projects in the company and one by one, he goes through and then he goes, okay, who is this guy? Jay, uh, what do you have? I got a committed end user shell and I've got a partnership with Sandvik Steel to do this 25. And they already had a partnership doing tubing, but this was with their new material. So I've got a partnership with Sandvik Steel and I've got their engineering team committed to this. And uh, we've got a prototype. You have all of the three things we need. He and I became a team and we drove this thing. And the other, I mean, he was like, nobody had anything. Nobody else had anything. It was just stupid ideas with no end users. So I had gone out and gotten these at the end user without permission, got the product made without permission. And it ended up, you know, the company took the material and they used it in different ways, repatented their core product. It was a whole big story. And they terminated my position. <laughs> that's crazy. But you left your mark and moved on to bigger and better things that that's like, man, I'm sure at the time it was not super fun to deal with, but man. No, I mean, I was halfway out anyway. I knew I wanted to do my own thing. It was just, you know, that happens. And I really, you know, what can I say? I mean, anyone who challenges authority like that is going to 
at risk of getting fired. So you only get fired for one or two reasons, doing too little or too much. I mean, for the experiences you've had for, you know, the tight spots you've been in, I feel like bolster is the spirit of you. Like that's finally the thing that like your soul can speak to. You seem like such a Zen, like even keeled calm person. And I mean, I've just been hearing all these stories of like, oh, like it was a tight spot. Like I didn't know if this would do whatever. Like you've taken all these incredible risks and yet still seem just like, you know what? I am balanced. I am ready to go. Let's do it. It's not easy. You know, bolster is, I don't want it to be so much about me, you know, to be honest, I'm just getting this thing off the ground and I want it to get out there and I want it to benefit people and have them be like, wow, I do not need to carry all this stuff. And thank God some made a bag that doesn't look like a fanny pack or makes me look like the hunchback of Notre Dame with the lump on my chest. You know, so I want to truly help people. And I love working with other creatives and want to help them if it can help them further what they're doing. I'm all about that. So this is really not about me. I'm trying to, you know, I'd like to make a living at it. And I love launching new ideas. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's other stuff to do too. So there's a lot of other ideas out there that I'd like to do. But yeah. Oh, yeah. This is one off the checklist. When we spoke last week, you said something that really stuck with me that I thought was really cool. Just a cool way of looking at anything you're doing. But I think you referred to Bolster as in some ways uh, in our project. It's a way for you to... Yeah. I love that. That mentality is incredible. Well, Dyson, you know, the Dyson vacuum cleaners, he was... I stumbled on some video because I, I can't remember why I was looking it up. It was one of those things like I needed that video. And he talked about how he got Dyson started. He failed miserably at raising money. He never raised any money. He didn't think it was unnatural to put his house up, and neither did his wife. And the woman he married is an artist. She understood the need for projects, and that's what he is. is He's basically a project guy. I need a project. I need a new vacuum cleaner. I need a new hand dryer. And that's really, he's just a continuum of projects and trying to make things better in the world. And that's what I feel bolster is. And that's, you know, in a couple different parts, like, you know, I went out and tried to raise money. It's not a fun thing. I may have to do it, you know, again. And I kind of know how to do it now, but he didn't do it at all. And he like spoke about failing at it miserably. I'm like, yeah, it's great. And he, of course, it turned out extremely well for him, you know, in the end. And so I think that that's a good, there are a lot of people in the world that are almost, I guess, maybe speaking in terms of how I felt ashamed of not wanting to, you know, go out and be a banker and all this and that, you know, and I don't feel that way anymore. But being raised half Korean, you know, there's a lot of like pressure in some ways. And, and I'm just like, I'm kind of a creative, I'm a creative person. And I kind of look at life as an art project, you know, and what's my next project. And I just believe that it's going to work out. It gets back to, I think what you were saying or what was happening when you were describing how you got bolster. It's you're putting out energy into the universe and it's giving it back. I believe that I'm a big believer in, you know, putting out the energy and you will see it kind of boomerang back a lot of people have talked about it there are other people very high level people who believe in that too you know why do you think steve jobs had everybody talk about a lot about apple here there it's a big inspiration why did he have all of the engineers sign i believe it was the apple II and the mac i believe all the engineers have it engraved in there he did it because he believes in the spirit of things that things have and emanate a spirit about them that is beyond the production of the product that the humans who put their spirit into it, it exudes that spirit. 
at this point, I really believe that. I mean, especially for how easy it is to start a business and have a product. There's a difference between starting a business just to fill up your bank account and actually believing in something and wanting it to work. You know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we have built on passion. There's more to any given business than you would realize. People have reasons. There's, you know, purpose. Even if it's not to change the world, self-expression and just thinking something is fun and enjoyable is enough. I mean, the world will always need joy. And when you add functionality and obviously with Bolster, its purpose is to make people's lives easier and unburden them. So I think that that's such a necessary and important thing. Well, I appreciate that. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a banker or a doctor, you know, a doctor maybe, but (laughs) (laughs) not because of them being a doctor. It's a whole nother conversation, but that whole industry was formed out of people, you know, becoming sick so that they'd have perpetual clients, not making them healthy. But I mean, like bankers and investment folk, I mean, lawyers, people have a passion for something and a reason for being. I saw an investor who I was floored by. He just loved investing and his philosophical explanation of why he loved it. I can't remember who it was at this point, but I'm like, I get it. You know, that's his gig. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, as long as he's not breaking the law and he's doing some good in the world, there's nothing wrong with making money. I think you said it perfectly too. I think that the X factor where we need bankers, we need lawyers, we need, they're necessary for the way our society has been built, but it's the having philosophy behind what you're doing. I feel like that's an easy way to provide the purpose and not just make it a space holder for, you know, I, oh, I just do this thing. We're human beings that make things, you know, and I do believe that I live in kind of a, uh, I guess it's a bit of a paradox because I do know that the more we progress, the faster we are leading ourselves to utter destruction. It's happened throughout civilizations throughout time where man has killed and decimated civilization after building it up. And I just read a fascinating article in the New Yorker, in the last New Yorker, about how just the farming of wheat, that was kind of the crux of civilization development and the need for bankers and accounting and like from just wheat farming, because you could finally store it for hunters and gatherers to, uh, you know, get fresh food and they ate kind of, you know, as they needed it. The argument for the article is that it's questioning, is wheat really a good thing in the end? We've created wars over it. We've created a lot of greed over it. And it spawned a lot of different things and it's disease too. It was a fascinating read. And there, the argument was maybe hunters and gatherers, you know, and they looked deep to it. This is a whole other conversation, but they had large, more or less civilizations that had developed in the, you know, pre-Neolithic times, I think it was. I can't remember exactly the history of it, but we're talking 8,000 years ago where they're finding, wow, these were big groups of people who had no hierarchy. Like one of the things the American natives had an issue with was how Europeans would give and take orders. They're like, what is that? And so hunters and gatherers were anarchists, man. They were all about getting along as a group. There's no like top level person in the CEO construct. The team effort. Exactly, man. It's coalescing around a problem. We need food. We need to survive. Let's do it together. I thought that was just so interesting. Yes, we are progression is you know leading to destruction in a way. As long as we're going to be making stuff in the world, let's do as little harm as possible to the environment and make good stuff. I mean, that's got some thought behind it and soul, you know. 
to add on to that, and I feel like that's the beautiful, like, you know, worldview, but you made me think of this conversation I had with a, a friend last night in a similar vein. But so, you know, the band fun. I don't. I should know them. They have this really big hit tonight. We are young. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. So. The guy who leads that band, he was part of like a early 2000s band, the format. They were, you know, not very popular. They kind of grinded away and, you know, they did it for years and years and years, almost a decade. It stopped being fun. It was just like a grind. It wasn't gratifying for this lead singer of this band fun. So he left that. And apparently this guy, I think it's Nate Russ or something is the singer's name, but said like, you know, the next thing I do. I'm only going to focus on, you know, having fun, having a good time and just enjoying what I'm doing. Well, he went on to form this band fun and they played at the Super Bowl and like it took off. It was like a huge pop success. And the switch was just leaving something that was just like a grind same and getting to finally, you know, just self-fulfillment, enjoyment. Oh, man. I mean, that's a great story. And I can't get the song out of my head now. I know I know the song. I'm sorry. Yeah, the song drives me crazy, but the story is great. No, it's a great story. And it, it's kind of the OK Go story. Their video of Upside Down, I think is what it is. Is that in the airplane? Yeah. They talked about that in an NPR interview. And that was one of those stories about confirmation from the universe. I mean, that is one of the most, that was a one cut video. They only had one chance to do that. They were in a, a parabolic dive. And so they had 10 years prior to making that had dreamed up this idea when they were a very young man about doing a parabolic dive and doing some kind of video around it. No one in the United States or anyone that they could find in the free world that could do parabolic dives. And so they had this idea, they, you know, and they let it go. And it was always in the background, you know, come up every once in a while. Then this one airline company out of nowhere called them up and said that they wanted to do a collaboration with them. And they're like, wait a minute, you guys do parabolic dives. This is a Russian airline company. And so they got their opportunity to film that video in there. You know, but the spirit of that, you know, wanting to have fun. And all those guys are master's degree. And one may have a PhD. They're super smart, right? They didn't want to do anything in the world but make music. And so they went to school, got these, you know, very uh, expensive degrees, and they probably did the best thing they could do with it. They're making music. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There's a balance of, I don't know, I guess making sure that you enjoy life and finding the thing that fulfills you. It's an unwritten equation, but I know that there's something there and it's delicate and I'm assuming just different for everyone, but. Yeah, and I just heard John Doerr, I believe, is the investment banker. He's an investment guy not banker, investment, a uh, venture capitalist in um, Silicon Valley. He was on a recent Tim Ferriss podcast. He was one of the first investors in Google and Amazon. And so now, and he started at Intel and he worked under Andy Grove and he talked about that. And yeah, but you know, as much money as he's made in the world, he doesn't care about that. He's putting all of his efforts into taking out as much carbon from the atmosphere as possible and understands that we only have 50 years before things are going to get really bad. He got the call from his daughter who said, you're the generation who ruined this for us. You need to fix it. And so in the interview, Tim Ferriss was asking him about like, what's the most important thing to him? You know, saving the earth. This thing goes, no, it's my kids, man. <laughs> and that's for me. I mean, I don't care what I'm doing. It's really what they're doing. And if anything that I've done, that may help them. And all that I've done has given them a lens on life. And it's never what you tell them. 
or what you suggest to them. It's all based on what you do. They are just feeding off of that. And they're all creative. My oldest daughter just quit school and she's doing her own line in LA. I didn't like that, that she quit school, but she's got all of the tools that she needs. And she learned a lot of them when she was grounded working for me. (laughs) (laughs) And you got some help too. So it's a win-win. I did. My son is heavy into videography and photography. I was taking these guys on sets and doing shoots. And I'm like, Grace, hold this camera. Just do 10 seconds of this video clip for me. I'm going to use it in a Kickstarter video. Dad, I don't want to do this. And then she's like, huh? And then she sees the outcome of Kickstarter and she's like, oh, that's how it works. And so now she's doing exactly that. You know, she's blowing up because of her TikToks and her Instagram. Sunmiko is her. She's doing a upcycle line of fashion. She takes vintage Nike upcycles it and makes it into her own designs and her own silhouettes, all women. And so she'll take a pair of like an old Nike sweatshirt, take the logo off and make a nice little, you know, tank top with the logo for women. And she's got fashion celebrity interests in her, reposting her. I couldn't believe it. Emily Oberg, who is the founder of Sporty and Rich, which is a, you know, a streetwear brand that's kind of popular. She was the women's buyer for Kit. She reposted her stuff. I'm like, Grace. I mean, all of my friends are like, Jane, your daughter just got reposted by Emily Oberg. I'm like, what? And it's like, as hard as I'm trying to get like my stuff in the hands of celebrities, it's falling in her lap. And one guy that is on Instagram and he has all the big designers following him. He's an influencer. So Virgil Abloh follows him, John Elliott. This is not his full-time gig. He actually has a corporate job, but I met him in Tokyo. I'm like, hey man, let's work together. He's like, yeah, maybe. So later he hits me up. He's like, yo, listen, I don't know about your stuff, but your daughter's stuff is fire. And so he's trying to help her get into boutiques in Japan. I'm like, that's what I want, man. I mean, I'm like, look. You got the foot in the door. This is a good thing. I know. I'm like, look, Grace, this is not going to work for me, but you need to work with this guy. Anyway, it's really about them and what they're doing in the world. And I mean, if they're all happy, I've done my job, you know, and if they're not happy, then that means that I was probably doing something that I wasn't happy about with and I, and they're replicating me. (laughs) I don't know. They have a pretty damn good role model. It seems like they're happy and you gave them the tools to get there. Maybe a few. They're teaching me now, to be honest. Actually, Grace, I was in LA and she was teaching, hey, dad, that's how you do a TikTok. I still, I got some learning to do there. Yeah. TikTok is far beyond me, but either way. It's interesting, but it is about the kids. And I think that I'm worried now as a parent, if we don't start getting things right in the next 20 years in terms of the environment, less is more. And that's, it's kind of, I'm perhaps putting out a contradictory statement, buy my stuff, buy less. I'm making a living doing what I do, but I'm trying to send a message of buying quality stuff. And look, my stuff is made in the USA, not just for quality. It's because I don't want to fly it over in a plane and be a, on a huge carbon footprint, you know? It's also, it's not just like, it's not just like a thing. It's buying into a lifestyle. It's buying into understanding that, oh, okay, like I only need this stuff. I mean, I get it. I hope that other people understand that too. I mean, earlier this year, I looked at a lot of the stuff I have. I had like four backpacks. I don't need four backpacks. I need like A hiking backpack is great because it's good for hiking, camping, all that stuff. Makes sense. Backpack for like laptop work, travel, all that. And that's enough. You know, any more is is too much. But I think that especially when it comes to stuff in your pockets, things like that. I mean, it's also how you, I don't know, wear down your clothes too. I mean, I feel like that's like a. Exactly. Yeah. 
but either way, this was incredible. I think time kind of got away from us. I have one more question for you. Uh, it's more for everyone out there, but what advice would you give to anyone who wanted to start a business? Advice? Oh, man. I don't want to give advice. Warnings are okay, too. I don't have anything original to say. I can tell them what not to do. I mean, I've heard a couple pieces of advice that have really stuck with me. And I'll share two. One is at my sister's college graduation. George Steiner, who is a philosopher, was speaking. And I don't know, he's from Canada or something. And I couldn't hear anything but this guy all of a sudden. And he said, you want to be happy in life? You need to do these three things. First, don't chase money. I'm like, okay. Because, you know, and it's true. I mean, most people, and I have an equation for happiness, by the way. And, you know, most people who have a lot of money are not happy. Most kids of people who have a lot of money are, look, I know a lot of wealthy people. They seem happy to me, but that's not what's going to make me happy in the end is just chasing money. He said, learn another language because you'll see life from another lens. And I believe that to be true as well. Another language these days is HTML or coding. Learn how to code. You know, because if you do, you're going to be able to be able to do more stuff on your own with your business. But learning another language is exquisite, man. I mean, being able to see life completely differently and talk to someone. I speak Japanese. I was much better at it when I was using it. But it was for somebody who's half Korean and to go over there as a, a Korean American is very interesting. And you just get to see humanity in a whole different way. And people write down when it comes to it are good people gets back to hunters all hunters and gatherers and want to get along governments put ideas in our head and other people do and that ruins it i think for the world but at the baseline we strip away people they're good people man they're good people in the world i believe in the goodness of people but learning another language will help you get to that the third thing he said was find a passion and the way he said it made so much sense. And I'm glad I found mine. But, you know, he said, if you get a divorce, which I've gone through, you need a passion. You know, your passion can't be your spouse. You need a passion outside of that. He said, have you ever looked into the eyes of a stamp collector? I'm like, what? But now I get it. Have you ever looked in the eyes of a sneaker collector? It's the same thing. These collectors are passionate. You know, they love to collect these things. I, there's a guy that I get my coffee from at Whole Foods. He's an audiophile and he goes and he buys new vinyl every week. He's like, dude, I just got my third. You know, he has the same single by The Clash on three different pieces of vinyl. He's like, they're all different. <laughs> you know, and you can see it in his eyes. Like he's passionate about it. Like he could lose his job at Whole Foods and he'd be totally happy going home and putting on, you know, his three different singles from The Clash and, and listening to the difference and being like, oh. <laughs> so that. But then I heard another one by um, Chip Wilson, I believe, who's the founder of Lululemon. And I'm telling this to my kids right now, cautiously. And I'm trying to learn it myself again. His dad, and Tim Ferriss was interviewing him, and, and he said, give us one piece of advice like you're doing. And so he goes, the best piece of advice I got was from my dad. He was not a businessman. He was sort of like the hippie guy, you know. And he asked his dad, dad, give me one piece of advice for life. He goes, okay, give me about 20 minutes. <laughs> So he left the room, he comes back and he goes, do it now, do it right fucking now. <laughs> that was his advice. And I'm like, wow. And there's a lot of truth to that. And so if, I mean, if anyone has a passion, do it fucking right now. I mean, you know, go for it hard and don't quit your job necessarily, but go for it. Get off. And I see people like, yeah, man, I'm passionate about photography. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to watch the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, okay. 
What is that? Are you really passionate or are you have fear? You know, usually it's fear and they're procrastinating around fear. I've heard, you know, Jamie Foxx actually talked about fear in a good way. He tells his kids, you know what's on the other side of fear? His kids go, no, there's nothing. <laughs> oh man, that's bone chilling. <laughs> See, you're giving me gold. I'm not writing this stuff for, this is all for me. This is going plastered on my wall. Oh, this is all stuff, you know, I don't have any advice to give. I'm just taking great advice from other people. But I guess, you know, if anything that I've learned that I'll reiterate, you know, you don't have to have kids to know what it means to take care of something. And so having a passion can be much like a kid, taking care of it, paying attention to it. And I think that paying attention to things is giving it love. When you give things love, they grow. It's always good to understand that. And if we're going to, to work and we're putting hate and like, man, I hate this fucking job. I can't wait to leave. Are you putting love into that? That's a disservice almost. So yeah, I hope you can all kind of put more love into what we do. Man, I feel like I'm going to have to listen to this episode every day. <laughs> oh, you're too generous, Matthew. But it's been an honor, man. I've had a lot of fun. Absolutely. I did want to circle back real quick because you slipped it in there slyly, but what's your equation for happiness? Oh, I'm not going to let you get away from that. Oh, it's super simple. Production minus consumption equals happiness. Oh, that's great. So if you're producing five and you're consuming three, what's your happiness value? Two. If you're producing one and consuming five, what's your happiness value? Oh man, four. Negative four. Oh, I haven't had my coffee. I'm also bad at math. That's okay. We might cut that last part. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. It might have been sort of a slip there, uh, a subconscious slip for a reason. You might be uh, consuming. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But my kids, I often am like, son, you've been watching a lot of stuff on your phone. Would you like to hear my formula for happiness? Because I know, dad, production minus consumption. (laughs) I influenced the one hour reading with my family on Sunday. Like, we're going to put our phones down. We're going to read for an hour together. It was amazing. I feel like this is going to be the 276th episode, maybe, of Ready Yeti Podcast slash Built on Passion. I think all of these little snippets are probably the best pieces of advice that can go the most distance because it just is, whether you're applying it to business or life, I feel like on some level, it'll still make sense. It's better than, you know, do the SEO, do this. And what you said, yeah, everyone's advice will always somehow come from someone else. That's passing along information. That's how we learn. So even still, you got gold. That's incredible. Well, thank you. I just can't wait to hear other stories. I didn't know what Ready Yeti was. And I'm like, I'm so tickled to have been introduced to it and been asked to be a part of it. So I really appreciate the opportunity, man. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Jay, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your experience, sharing your wisdom. For anyone who's listening who wants to find out more about Bolster and what you're up to now, where's the best place for them to head? Bolster.xyz, www.bolstr.xyz. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate the time, man. We made it. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode of Built on Passion. Hope you learned something. Hope you maybe grew as a person. Maybe you have a new entrepreneurial idea. Maybe all of the above. Maybe you got a new perspective on your favorite hobby or favorite piece of gear and you just you fell in love all over again. I'm hoping for the last one. That last one actually sounds pretty good. I'm going to ask one last time for the people in the back. Please leave a review. It is super helpful and a great way to show your support of the show. 
And if you know someone who might be interested in this episode specifically, share it to them. And all joking aside, thank you for everything, for supporting what we're doing. In any event, that's it for now. I will see you next week on another episode of Built on Passion. Passion.